This is the Pulse of New Hampshire. I am J-Dog, and joining me is a true Renaissance man. He is Eddie Popowski's number one fan, Steve Ballmer's roommate in college at Harvard, so when Intuit Dome gets built in 2024, there better be a name for this man. Mr. Tom Raffio, the president and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental and the host of Northeast Delta Dental Radio. How are you, Tom? Thank, thank you, Jay, and as always for the stirring introduction. So I want to get right into today's guest because I think Buddy Finef is one of the most fascinating and impressive business people um, that you'll ever want to meet. And in the spirit of transparency, I know Buddy's organization uses the Baldridge framework, the Excellence North Alliance framework for this one of the reasons for his his success. So, Buddy, thank you for joining me. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Tom. So I know we all growing up. You know, we, we listen to our parents. You know, the only thing that's for sure is death and taxes. And of course, um, fast forward to the year 2022 and based on the government printing money, you don't necessarily have to pay taxes. And, uh, and a lot of funeral homes have gone out of business. So even that uh, expression really um, is no longer really valid. So let us, before we get into what you've done to uh, sustain and thrive your business. Why don't you give us a background on how you came into the uh, funeral business? I know like dentistry, a lot of times it's family orientated, but take as much time as you need. Sure. Because when I get feedback on the show, they always say, the listening audience always says, I'd like to know more about the, our, your guests. So, so take your time and describe how you got into the business. Yeah, I'll try to do my best. Um, so like many kids growing up in the funeral home, you have spent your summers washing hearses and cars and bringing flowers to the cemetery. And I did that as well and went to college. And then after college, decided that I wanted nothing to do with funeral service whatsoever. So I went to graduate school, got my MBA in finance at George Washington, worked for a large consulting firm called Deloitte. Um, having a great old time, living in DC, traveling around the world, never being home. Um, which was great for about six or so years, and then realizing that um, I'm not sure this is how I want to raise a family when you're not home 11 months of the year. And my dad was at the point he was getting ready to sell his funeral home. Um, he was the third generation my great-grandfather started, came down from Canada, started in Nashville, moved to New Hampshire. Grandfather took over. My dad, uh, at the time, we were serving maybe 200 families a year out of a couple locations in Manchester. And my wife at the time, who is still my wife now. Um, that's good. Yeah, that's very good. Um, and uh, she said- You all kicked your coverage, huh? <laughs> With your wife? Yeah. Um, she says, I don't want to raise my kids in the city. I want to move back. She's from LA, but I want to move to a small town. Um, so back in 1990, Pam and I moved back to New Hampshire. My dad's, our deal was my dad's last day was my first day i love my dad my dad's still living um but just you know sort of old school new school i knew we couldn't necessarily work together in terms of where i wanted to bring the business to um so that's fast forward today we've we operated um six brick and mortar funeral homes uh and virtual firm we've purchased about 10 firms that we rolled into our existing portfolio and have um sold off the real estate, uh, serving about 3,500 families in New Hampshire and Vermont, about 25% of all the folks who've had a loss go through one of our, you know, one of our brands. 
Um, so, so yeah, so that's, that's how I got here and that's, that's what we're doing. I have, uh, I'm hoping it goes to the next generation. My son is our controller. He has an accounting degree from George Washington, my alum. Uh, my son-in-law is one of our managers. I have a couple of sisters that live here. So even though we have 50, 60 people, uh, on locations, we're still very much a family owned business. And I can see why you're so successful because you, tra you traveled the world, you got your MBA, you kind of saw things and yet you had that uh, family passion and you have a great, you know, family orientation. And that is those things are the secret to success. So I think you kind of touched on some of the changes that you've witnessed over the last 30 years, including um, consolidation, because if that expression, the only thing that's true is death and taxes was true, probably uh, funeral homes wouldn't have gone out of business or certainly, you know, been up for sale. So, so tell us what's happened in the last 30 years and what you've done to adapt uh, to thrive. So you're, so you have, whatever, 25% or more of the market share? So there, there's been a, there's sort of been a number of waves of, of disrupting of the industry. And Tom, you know better than I that, you know, disruption, disruption is not a bad word. It's just, it's just change and it's just rethinking of how you're doing something. So the first wave was, was definitely cremation. Um, you know, back when I took over my family's business, the cremation rate, which is of all the folks that die in a given year, how many are cremated um, in New Hampshire was probably... 10 to 15, maybe 20% nationwide. It was under 10. Fast forward to this year, cremation rate in New Hampshire is 81%. We have one of the highest cremation 81%? rates. 81%? Eight, eight one, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Vermont is over 80. Maine's over 80. Um, two years ago was the first year that nationwide the, the cremation rate exceeded the burial rate in this country. So um, when you have these beautiful brick and mortar buildings, if you can go to any, especially small New England towns, usually the prettiest building, you know, on the square is, is, is the funeral home, the pretty Victorian. Well, you don't need that one to $2 million building if 80% of your clients are selecting cremation and probably not using your building. So that disrupt that, that sort of change um, in, in the industry and into the thought process resulted in a lot of firms that were doing extremely well back in the day, you know, the average funeral home in New Hampshire and in New England served maybe 100 families a year. Everyone had services. Everyone went to church. Everyone got a casket. Um, the owner, who was um, usually male, and again, I'm not now the vast majority of funeral directors are female, but that, you know, back then. And, you know, their wives probably worked somewhere and got um, health care from them. And, you know, their son, they had a part time and everyone was fine. You could run a nice little family business. You can't do that with an 80 percent cremation rate. So. Um, we've gone in New Hampshire from over 100 funeral homes, brick and mortar buildings to, to under 60. Um, that was sort of the first wave of disruption. The second wave, I think, is, is really technology as a disruptor. Um, and we saw that play out during COVID where we had lockdowns. We were limited to how many people could come into the funeral home. We couldn't go to churches. People having to wear masks. People couldn't fly here for their family members' funeral. Um, in funeral homes that had scaled up to say, well, no, we can make arrangements online and we can do virtual meetings and we have the ability to live stream and we have the ability to have all of our forms online. You know, it sounds pretty obvious, but the funeral industry tends to be a very low tech industry. Um, so things like filling out forms online and live streaming and virtual funeral arrangements and going to a funeral home's website and seeing prices. 
sounds like, well, yeah, of course, why wouldn't ever? But, you know, that wasn't the case. And funeral homes that had scaled up that way were in a much better position. Um, and now sort of the, the, uh, the un- one of the unintended consequences of COVID, and I apologize, I'm sort of jumping around and not answering your question directly, but they're sort of all related, uh, is that now where we're having families that are coming in, of course, COVID is, you know, to most extent, we were opened up. And families were saying, well, when, why would I want to ever come into the funeral home to make arrangements? When mom died during COVID, we just jumped on your website. We did this. We did a virtual this. And yeah, I don't need to fly here. We just do it again. So that was sort of one of the unintended consequences is just really deploying technology as a, you know, as a major way to, that's been a huge, huge paradigm shift in sort of our industry. And I think that those organizations that have leveraged what they did during COVID uh, whether it's you know a better way to sell cars, mm-hmm. whether it's a better way of delivering education, um, a lot of those trends were happening uh, pre-COVID, um, and now COVID, of course, you know, expedited. So, so two two questions for you. Uh, one is more of curiosity. What why do you think the uh, shift in the cremation from like ten to twenty percent to eighty percent? That's more of a curiosity. And then number the bigger question is. Like why was Fanuf? Why were you so prepared and ready to pivot? Um, were you studying these trends, and so you were ready to pivot when you know when you had to go virtual? But why don't you start with my curiosity question and then get sure. into the second question? Yep. Uh, so the, there's there's been a lot of studies and a lot of people smarter than I have looked at the cremation rate. And it's it's no one thing, Tom. Um, here specifically in New Hampshire, um, as you know, a lot of there's a lot of people, the Catholic Church is very, not as much as it used to be, but, you know, high percentage of, of um, Roman Catholics. And the Diocese of Manchester, which covers all the Catholic churches in New Hampshire, was the third church, the third diocese in North America to allow cremated remains to go to the church. Uh, first one was um, Denver. Second one was Diocese of Montreal. Uh, and we were the third. So what that did was sort of open the floodgate to saying, well, now that we can bring urns to church, of course, we'll have dad cremated or grandma cremated. Um, that is is one of, of course, costs is always factors into this. Cremation tends to be significantly less uh, in most cases than a more traditional funeral. Uh, in some parts of the country, it's running out of scarce burial ground. That's not the case in our in our market. Um, but nationwide for some, you know, you can go to Chicago and you can pay $15,000 just to buy a grave. Um, that puts it out of the price of many people. Uh, New Hampshire is a melting pot that you probably know. We have a lot of different groups that have come in, Bhutanese families, Hindu families, and a lot of these families are bringing with them their their culture and their traditions, many of which are cremation. Uh, we have a contract with the Hindu community. Um, in the United States, we've been, we've been cremating since um, the Civil War. And in India, they've been cremating for 3,000 years. So they have a little bit more experience. A little bit more experience, and they're bringing that, that. So a lot of those things, you know, some of it's Yankee frugality. Some of it's the fact that it's it's easy. And then um, you, have, you have psychologists that are saying that people that are opting for cremation tend to try to sidestep the grieving process and, and quicken it. You know, I'm not a psychologist, so I can't say yes mm-hmm. or no to that. Um, but they might think it's easier. They don't want to see dead bodies. So, the re- so all so of those the- things have factored into the cremation rate. So it's gone from 10 to 80%. So I see, Jay, so so after the break, we'll get into why was, why was your organization so prepared where maybe 
um, the 40 funeral homes that went away recently, you know, why they weren't as prepared. Jay? Interesting, huh? It is, absolutely. And we will continue with uh, more of Northeast Delta Dental Radio with Buddy Feneff of Feneff Funeral Homes and Tom Raffio, the president and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental and the host of Northeast Delta Dental Radio after these words on the pulse of New Hampshire. We're back. It's Northeast Delta Dental Radio here on the pulse of New Hampshire and alongside Tom Raffio, president and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental and host of Northeast Delta Dental Radio is Buddy Feneff of Feneff Funeral Homes. Gentlemen, take it away. Very good. So before we get back to Buddy, just a big shout out to last week's guest, Cindy Burlack from the Brass Foundation. Very interesting show. So you can find that on anydelta.com and it's worth it's worth listening to that for 25 minutes. So Buddy, this is your your chance for a mini commercial. You have two locations in Manchester, one each in Boscoin and Littleton, plus Brattleboro, Vermont, and your your website is fenuf.net. So tell us why you have remained so successful while other funeral homes have either sold to you or have gone out of business. Well, it's, I certainly don't want to take all the credit. I tend to try to put a lot of smart people around me um, that have good ideas from my staff to uh, um, I'm, I'm involved with a study group of independently owned funeral homes throughout the country. There's 10 of us that um, we meet constantly with best practices. One of the things we do is we try to, we try to benchmark other companies and, and bring things in um, that are working in that industry. Something very, very simple. Um, a number of years ago, we actually benchmarked Zappos, a company that sells the online shoes, and I now sell everything. And they were one of the first companies to use um, a chat function on their website because they thought that was the sort of the communication line of least resistance. They didn't want to lose the order. So people that were willing to go online and, hey, do you have that in size 10 rather than calling or emailing? So I said, hey, that would be great with our funeral home, um, a chat function. And people were saying, well, that would be silly. No one's going to chat on a funeral home. And people are now, we have staff members that just focus on managing our chat. People can get information without having to come in or call. They can find out service information, locations, questions. So I don't think it's any one thing, Tom. Um, you know, we were one of the first funeral homes in New Hampshire to put in a crematory even before the cremation rate was where it was. Um, we've been lucky, um, but I think we've been strategically lucky. And in, you know, managing our risk and taking some some calculated chances. And I think those a combination of just benchmarking, having a good bench strength with our, our team, hiring the right talent, making sure everyone is sort of this whole culture as a work system. We're really hyper focused on that now and making sure that our our staff are culture carriers and serving our families and making getting their feedback. So I think all of those things, no one particular thing has resulted in us having some good luck and being where we're at. And I think what Buddy just described quite candidly is the Baldridge performance framework planning. And by the way, just as an aside, you know, everybody knows this, but you make your own luck by working harder and being strategic. So Buddy's being too modest when he says he's lucky, but I know that, uh, with Brian Hetrick and others, you were involved with the Baldrige process a few years ago and actually won the, um, we then called it the Granite State Quality Award uh, for Performance Excellence. So tell us about that uh, 
process and what you learn. And, and in a way, you just kind of described it as the holistic view and being innovative and being compulsive about about your customer service. But maybe in your own words, described, you know, in the benchmarking as well, what the understanding that framework a little bit, how that helped shape your business. Well, at, at the end of the day, the funeral business is no different than any other business. We're hiring and firing. We're, we're having to buy inventory. We're having to maintain facilities. We're having to deal with HR issues and, and all of that. And, and Brian Hetrick brought to me the idea of, hey, you should really try to apply for this Baldridge, which I hadn't heard of before I knew that he was a senator, I believe, from Arizona, uh, thinking it was, oh, just some other little application will do. It'll take me 15 or 20 minutes, fill it out, send it in you know, maybe get an interview, not realizing the uh, the application was about an inch thick. Uh, it took us a year to complete, but it was it was com a complete overhaul of our systems. One of the things, I mean, yes, we, we won an award, great, and my cleaning lady dusted off every, you know, every week or so, but it was about how we got there rather than really the end result. I mean, we looked at our systems, we looked at our our work system, our processes, we were, you know, measuring. One of the things we're very high on is metrics from every aspect of our, our business from the first time the phone rings to offboarding our staff to following up with our families. Um, so I, that, that process really resulted in us providing a, a in huge increase in the level of care that we can offer our families just from the whole understanding where they're where there may be gaps in the system, where there may be duplicating of efforts, where there's data that's not necessarily communicated across all of our staff and all of our channels. So it was just, yeah, it was an amazing, amazing, it was a lot of work. It was not easy, but it is. And I think you hit on two things. And of course, Northeast Delta Dental has won that as well. And we <clears throat> applied national last year. Um, it's a lot of work. Um, but the federal government pulled the plug on the award. So we'll be reapplying. But <clears throat> As Buddy said, it's not getting the award. It's great. You know, you can put it on your letterhead if that's meaningful to you or or dust it off, but it's really the uh, the process. And, and and the metrics are so important because you certainly are what you measure. And, you, of course, part of the program is making sure you're measuring the, the right stuff. So what what? give me a couple of examples of metrics you use to govern your business. So one of the things that we that we measure, I mean, we measure many things, but we uh, one of the things that's most important is what, something that we call uh, voice of the customer. You know, a lot of companies, someone calls and complains or has some constructive credit. Oh, yeah, thank you for that. that and then, you know, you, you, you toss it and do nothing. Um, I, I'll, I don't know if we have time, but I'm going to tell you a, a story that really hits. So we, sur we survey all of our families we have for years. And we got a survey back, and this is a number of years ago. Um, and the lady, and it was actually a family that I had served, and the lady said, who, who had her husband, her, I'm sorry, her dad cremated, she said, buddy, everything was great, um, but when I picked up my dad, I felt as though I was picking up Chinese food. And I'm saying, what? I didn't get what she was talking about. Um, you know, I went back and looked, and, and you know, she didn't chose not to have a service and just a simple cremation and bring her dad's urn home. So I called her up and I, I said, yes, yeah, I came into a nice business office and the lady was very pleasant. And my dad was in the little in his little urn in a little bag. And she had me you know, give him my ID and sign the form and, and this. And and I felt like I was just picking up an order. And in my mind, I was saying, well, I was thinking like a funeral director. And I was saying, 
Well, but that's what you, you know, that's what you, we did exactly what you wanted. You didn't want a service. You didn't want this. You didn't want that. Um, I'm not sure. But what we learned from that, and it took, took us a couple of months, is that in her mind, she didn't have a ceremony. So what we did was we took the concept of a transaction, picking up the urn. Now every urn pickup is done in one of our chapels with a candle, giving family time to be there before you're doing the paperwork and the stuff. And so we created a transaction from a transaction and we created a ceremony, very simple. And that completely, I mean, that's part of the Baldridge process is looking at this and looking at the process steps and saying, okay, where can we pokey oak the process and where can we, um, you know, that is an amazing story. And it's an example of doing something with the data because buddy is absolutely correct. Because I found this when, you know, in my past life, when I would do examinations of companies when I was in Massachusetts, but people would collect data almost to kind of check off the box as opposed to actually doing something with it. And and to take that knowledge from that woman and then creating, in effect, a mini ceremony, even though they don't want quote unquote, don't want a ceremony. That's an amazing story. Awesome. Appreciate and I, I use that as a training training with my staff that might have worked at other funeral homes and saying, you know, we don't we don't we do things a little bit differently. And we're very, very uh, methodical in everything that we do in every process from how we answer the phone to how we you know, provide cremator remains back. So I think that's that's helped us quite a bit. But again, it's, it's been a lot of work to get there. Now you mentioned you mentioned your journey. Um, you you know, you went off for a few years and then came back and you've mentioned you do have family working for you. So you've been around, you know, for a century. Do you anticipate the the fifth generation will be thriving with you or what's, what's your, what's your succession planning? I hope so. I mean, I'm having, I'm still having fun. You know, if you can have fun working in the funeral home, I enjoy working with my, my sisters and my son-in-law and my son. And yeah, I can see myself, you know, doing this i may not be working the 70 hours that i'm working now but i can see myself doing this for years and just and pause right there everybody because <laughs> 70 hours okay so i've written three books and whenever whenever i interview an accomplished business person billionaire successful ceo or successful athlete the number one thing they say is they outwork the competition and working, and I know I do that routinely as well. So, and like, and uh, of course, it's not work if you love what you're doing, which obviously you you do. So, that's that's terrific. So, on uh, bringing it back to today, um, every day you pick up the newspaper or listen to the the news, and we always talk about these different, you know, supply chain challenges. Has that creeped into and been been a challenge in your business? You wouldn't think so, but absolutely. Um, our our casket companies, um, our manufacturers, actually their distributors, about a half of the about half of the caskets that um, are purchased in the United States are actually made overseas um, or in in um, um, Canada or Mexico in China. Um, and you can our, our casket our, our our cost our wholesale cost has gone up forty five percent. This past year, now you certainly can't pass on a 45% wholesale price increase at the retail level to consumers. Um, same thing for urns. So same thing for our paper products. So yes, um, delays. My son just came in who manages all of our inventory. We buy a lot of urns from India. 
um, in a manufacturer. And you just said one of our manufacturers um, no longer has access to uh, their provider, and our earns some of our earns are going to be delayed three months. So, and I hear this in all businesses, including dental, Jay, which is you know, um, it's hard to get PPE, you know, personal protection equipment, and everybody's mm -hmm. faced with this inflation. And we all, but none of us can really pass it on to the consumer. But the successful companies and organizations that use the Baltridge Performance Excellence seem to have a way of. Of, get, of, of working through that. So thank you, buddy, FNF. Awesome. You're a role model, not only in your industry, uh, but also for Baldridge Performance Excellence. I know, Jay, I learned a lot. How about you? I did, absolutely. About manufacturers, about caskets and the like. I didn't, I didn't realize that. I yeah. thought, you know, you made here in America. No, no, India and other uh, parts of the world. So, And I, uh, about 20 years ago, just when the trend was happening, I changed my will to be cremated. So I'm right. I'm right there with you, buddy. So. <laughs> All right, Jay, take it away. Okay. For Buddy Faneff of Faneff Funeral Homes, that's P-H-A-N-E-U-F, uh, A-N, yeah, rather, A-N-E-U-F dot net. That's the website for Faneff, for Faneff Funeral Homes. And Tom Raffio, president and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental and host of Northeast Delta Dental Radio. I am Jay Dog. That's it for this week's edition of Northeast Delta Dental Radio. We'll be back next time on an all-new edition of Northeast Delta Dental right here on the Pulse of New Hampshire.